Welcome back to Small Town Missing. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And on today's episode, somebody else is going to be taking I over. know, somebody else go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're looking at me. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, well, we actually have two missing persons we're going to do today. First one being uh, Dora Ruth Smith, and the second being Melinda McGee. And I'm going to take the lead on the two of these, on both of these. And then Will is going to jump in with his information. And what we've done is we've both researched. And we'll just see what additional information uh, Will has found on both of these missing person just cases. Just to kind of see if one of you can fill in the gaps the other it, one has. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. and it's cool, too. I'm trying to incorporate more, like, uh, armchair detective type of work and everything. Um, there was, uh, I use Reddit a lot now in the sense of, you know, uh, when I was getting my MBA or trying to get my MBA, I was like, oh, let me just do a couple threads that are, you know, related to that. Well, then there's, like, a lot of true crime threads and stuff like that. So if we ever have any questions, like, we can look on there, and there's a lot of good info out there yeah it sounds good to me now a lot of my information came from local newspapers or charlie project and also found another site called uh where's about still unknown oh i've never heard of that one uh, yeah and i did find some of the stuff on reddit read it yeah Reddit. i think it's yeah, reddit. reddit and uh but i didn't include that information in mine so you'll probably have some stuff that i don't have yeah and great. there's there's not a lot of info about it like we said we do, we're doing more locally small you know town missing hence the name um podcast so it's not a lot of info but i think it's just it's important to kind of incorporate these things sometimes because i'm a 100 percent believer in thinking that if someone is talking a rumor about somebody or something like that there's probably some semblance of truth in there somewhere so you got to kind of incorporate it like thomas said last time we don't know what's true what's not it's unsolved we got to look at everything yeah exactly so if you guys are ready i'll go ahead and jump into dora rue smith i'm ready it started okay so it's the middle of the night april 24th 1977 in florence alabama dora ruth smith has left her home her husband said he heard her leave i heard her get up i guess during the middle of the night and he saw her get into a lime green ford ltd that night mm. she was wearing a nice uh, nightgown she left the rest of her clothes behind she left her purse her keys everything else behind yeah i heard her dentures too like i saw a, a dentures were left behind yeah too. that i got that information also her dentures were left behind uh her son david smith reported her missing he had last seen her april 10th uh of that year again 1977 so, uh, and I think that was maybe Easter weekend. I, I didn't put it down in my notes, but I believe yeah. that was it. And so we're talking about you know, two weeks later, and then it was a few days after her disappearance on the night of the 24th that he actually reported her missing. And my assumption is he was not, he was old enough that he was not living at home. Yeah, didn't know maybe. Yeah, didn't know that she was gone. And uh, I don't know if there were, I think there were two other children maybe. And again, I'm sorry, I don't have that in my notes. But my assumption is it was just Dora and her husband, Wilbur, at home. Well, I wonder what Wilbur was doing. Uh, I, I, you'll probably let us know, but I'm just like, well, what was Wilbur doing here? Well, you know, it was the middle of the night, so I assumed they were both asleep. Yeah, yeah. And so he had heard her get up, and then he saw her get into that lime green Ford LTD, which I don't know, you know, this is the 70s, and I recall the late 70s, and I don't know how many of our listeners may recall this, <laughs> but at that time, an LTD was a really big car. Uh, yes, I've heard that too from my mom. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, it was lime green, which, yeah, I could see that for the late 70s, but uh, that, yeah, definitely would stick out in my mind if I, I saw someone get into a, a lime green Yeah, lime LTD. green freaking bulldozer, I, for sure. But honestly, that is... The information I have, uh, David Smith, and this was with an, an interview with him, said that his father, Wilbert, really never talked about Dora's disappearance. And I could find nothing 
that had uh, Wilbur as a person of interest or yeah, a suspect. Yeah. Wilbur sounds like he doesn't know what's going on, honestly. Yeah, he just knows she she just disappeared in the middle of the night. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That that sounds like so many of our other cases. It really does. That it's just, there's no information. Nope. Nobody I mean, has anything. Well, I mean, it, but the more that you bring forward, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I guess like like I said, with Roast Case and everything, we're approaching the 50-year mark on these cases and stuff. Anything and everything can probably be helpful, but... Ah, oh, gosh, it's just so sad. I did not see any info besides, like, I guess, Rhonda, I did see one other thing, and I don't know, you might mention it or something. Um, I thought I mentioned something or I heard something about maybe the homeowners, like, after the house was sold, founding something or something like that. Yeah, you're exactly right, Will. In 2003, and again, this is another quote from David Smith, he had hoped that this information may lead to uh, some clues or maybe his mother's whereabouts. Yeah. But in 2003, the residents of Smith's former home found a letter and $200 behind wallpaper. And the letter stated, uh, they are taking, trying to take my food away and kill me. Please help. Mm. Now, Charlie Project states that the letter and the money was found behind wallpaper uh, in while a 2003 article by Mike Goins from the local newspaper Times Daily states that the letter and the money were found between two pieces of wood hmm. at the top of a closet in the house. Oh, yeah, so it's it's vastly different. Kind it, of. it is kind of different. It's like, you know, finding something behind wallpaper. I yeah. Mean, I guess if you're remodeling, which I assume 2003, that's what the, the new residents of the home would have been doing. But, uh, yeah, so this was found. And in 2003, of course, this sparks interest of course you know like okay we got to you know we have a little more clues maybe we should research this further and of course like i said i I didn't see a lot of detail about how much effort went into searching for her back in 1977 and again no no suspects no persons of interest but this 2003 letter really you know got them looking again so investigator darren michael had four cadaver dogs brought to the florence residence and the dogs begin to alert as they reach the shed which was behind Hmm. the house Hmm. now florence police obtained a search warrant and returned to search the shed Uh, and as they were digging down they ran into rocks or a rock-like substance about two feet down and the police went on to use shovels and they were able to dig down in you know a couple of areas about four feet down but they didn't find anything. Now, at that point, uh, investigator Michael, uh, actually, I'm sorry, it, uh, yeah, Mark, I'm sorry, Michael, yes, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, it would take someone with a bulldozer and a backhoe to determine whether or not Dora Ruth Smith was buried there. Oh. So I don't know what this substance was. Maybe concrete, con- an old concrete floor? Yeah. Or they, they Jimmy hoffa somebody, it sounds like, almost. Yeah, well, and this is, you know, just my speculation. They just said a rock-like substance, but I can't imagine you would have such a layer of rock that you couldn't get through it without a bulldozer. Yeah, and you can honestly tell, too. Like, I feel like when you say a rock-like substance, I mean, to me, you can tell if it's concrete or not. You know, like, you know what concrete looks like. Um, yeah. yeah even if it's so. weathered under the ground for a long time. Yeah, and maybe they just, uh, the person who, who did this article in the local paper, uh, Times Daily again, just didn't have that kind of detail. Maybe the police didn't want to share that kind of yeah. detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh Anyway, so they didn't find anything there. And, of course, the family wanted once, of course, and this is an older article, I believe 2007, would like for them to continue the search. But whether or not they did, I could not find any additional information on that. Um, Now, what's odd, you know, of course, this letter is odd. They're taking away my food and they're trying to kill me. That's very odd. That is very odd. 
And according to Whereabouts Still Unknown site, Dora had a three-month-old grandchild when she disappeared, and supposedly she was also active in the church, according to this site. And another site had stated that she had a newspaper route. So she, oh, yeah, she, she was active. Yeah, so she was delivering newspaper, and it's kind of odd. Why would she think, or why would she write something like that, again, if she did write this? Yeah, do they know if it was her handwriting or anything? Or? See, I can't find anything. Yeah, if I can't find... the police actually looked at the letter, if they determined it was her handwriting, uh, you know, we're going from 1977 to 2003, you know, did they even have a sample of her handwriting True. at that point? So, I don't know, kind of odd, but uh, why would she... You know, if she's got contact with the outside world, you know, people away from home, why would she feel that way? And why could she not contact people if that were the case? That's just kind of unusual. I agree. Especially if she had children old enough to have children of their own. Mm -hmm. Why not? If, you know, she thought someone was trying to kill her, why didn't she go to them and say, look, you know, I can't go back home because... You know, either it's dangerous to be at home for whatever reason, someone's looking for her, trying to find her, and her home is no longer safe. You know, why not state that and and get that taken care of? So I just kind of, you know, that's odd. And again, this is just me speculating. Could it have been, uh, you know, maybe she was, I don't know, paranoid? I don't know. Yeah, did, yeah. Maybe it wasn't really happening, or she thought she maybe she thought it was happening. Yeah, you know, maybe there was something going on mentally. And again, nothing like this in any of the articles I've read. But could it be something like that? And we were talking about 1977. You really didn't discuss um, mental health, mental health, or domestic abuse. No, you kind of hid it until you know. I mean, unless I guess you were killed or something like that. That was something that was. uh, It simply wasn't done, as you know, southern southerners like to say. Yeah, exactly. But again, I could find no information on uh, suspects, person of interest, nothing about her husband, Wilbur, ever being a suspect or yeah. person of interest. Well, because he was the last person. Like, I feel like that's a very specific. And like he did it. If he did, you know, allegedly, allegedly, reportedly make that up about her leaving in some lime green, you know, bulldozer, I guess. <laughs> LTD. LTD. Um, that's a very, I mean, that's a big ostentatious way of saying somebody left at night i don't know that's a that's a lot i yeah i don't know and i can't stress enough this i couldn't find anything like that in any of these articles that he was ever a suspect so uh, maybe there was something else going on could she have been trying to hide from someone or again was it some kind of mental thing where she was paranoid and felt like someone was trying to get to her i mean the letter says they they are trying to take my food away and kill me yeah so she didn't say you know, a person, a single person. It was they. It just makes me wonder if, like, if they could even go, like, I don't know if if maybe they could even prove that that was hers. Like, maybe it was in there before. Like, maybe they did. They weren't the first owners of the house, and maybe the previous homeowners put that note there. Who knows? Yeah, uh, we have no idea. I mean, like, like I said, 1977, quite a bit of time had passed. Uh, and also, it could be because of the lack of clues, evidence, however you want to state it, the police aren't sharing that kind of information. So maybe they know more, and that's why there is no more information out there. Yeah, well, I'm hoping, like we said last time, I'm hoping if they do have any information that they haven't released, let's just go ahead and release it all so we can do something else. It's been 50 years. Yeah, now, we did reach out to Randy England, a retired chief of detectives, who had the case in 2007, which was just uh, four years after the letter was found. But he couldn't provide additional information. Oh. So, again, my assumption is because there's just 
such a small amount of evidence or clues that maybe the police aren't sharing what additional information they may have. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, gosh, it's getting to the point now where anybody who I think could be involved is probably dead by now. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Her you husband. Certainly think. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband, uh, Wilbur, uh, remarried. I don't know exactly how much time passed whenever he remarried, but he lived in the house until his death in 1995. Mm, okay. So, Wilbur, I'm watching you. Okay. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> now, at the time of her disappearance, uh, Dora Ruth Smith was 47 years old. Again, disappeared with nothing but a nightgown on that night. Uh, that was April 1977. Gosh. If anyone out there has any information, surely you would think a lime green Ford LTD, yeah. if that's the case, would, would stick out in someone's How mind. How many of those did they have back then? You uh, know? Yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, please uh, contact the Florence Police Department and, uh, and let them know. Yeah, shoot, I agree with that. What do you think, Thomas? Oh, yeah, definitely. Always, if you have anything that could be helpful, share it. Yeah. Share it with the police. Share it with whoever, somebody that can get in touch with an investigator. There's no reason if you have something that could be helpful in either saving a future life down the road mm-hmm. or giving some solace to a family that's been missing someone, always share that information. I agree. Yeah, and just to, to touch on what Thomas said, I did see an interview with the granddaughter who was the three-month-old grandchild when Ruth disappeared. And uh, I'm sorry, not Ruth, but Dora Ruth Smith. And when Dora disappeared, and she, uh, this was in, I believe, 2007 when she did the interview, and she was definitely interested in knowing what could have happened to her grandmother. Yeah, because, I mean, she was robbed. Yeah, she was the, she's the oldest grandchild, and she definitely would love to know what happened. Bless her heart. Yeah, I could see why. I mean, that's... Like Will said, that was somebody that is someone who was robbed of what they could have had. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You just don't know. I mean, it just it completely changes your life. That'd be like if one of you guys were just disappeared one day, God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, do we want to continue on uh, with Melinda McGee? Yeah, I'm ready for it. And then, um, yeah. Do you think this one's as long as the previous one? Uh. Yeah, as as long as the door roof mm-hmm. Smith, it may be just a little bit longer because Will has some information that he needs to add. Yeah, and I'll just kind of uh, throw in. It'll be like a patchwork quilt. Okay, yeah, we got plenty of time. Okay, all right. Well, it's four p.m. March twenty fourth, and this one is a little more current, two thousand and three. And Troy McGee returns home from work to find evidence of a struggle in his house, and his wife Melinda Wall McGee is missing. Mm. Now the walls are weekend. <laughs> no, no, no. This is no. This is farther down into Alabama. Okay. <laughs> not your little uh, neck of the woods. No, not not no. close to us at all. No. Okay. Uh, Melinda McGee worked at the Oakwood Nursing Home in Baymanette, Alabama, which is down near our Gulf Coast. And he re- and returned home that morning from a twelve-hour shift. Uh, the McGee home is in Atmore, Alabama. And after arriving home at eight o'clock that morning, she placed calls to her husband and her mother around 8.30-ish. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Melinda and Troy's two kids were with a babysitter. You know, obviously she worked 12-hour shift, so someone was taking care of the kids while uh, she was resting. Yep. And uh, Troy had a son from a pe- previous marriage or a previous relationship, and that child was not at home either. Now, Troy immediately reported Melinda missing. Uh, apparently there was some blood in the bedroom, and I've kind of I've got contradictory statements. Uh, one statement says that there wasn't enough blood to assume someone had been murdered, 
on the site. Mm-hmm. And then there was another statement that said there, there was quite a bit of blood. Now, which of those is more accurate? I do not know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, how much blood is there needed to say there's a murder? Because, I mean, there's people that can die from very minor looking wounds. Yeah. Like, if you get somebody in the head and it's and something's blocking the blood from coming out, they're still dead. Yeah, true. True. Uh, or, yeah, also, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand a comment like that. Oh, there's not enough blood to show that somebody died. What? It's blood. Well, there's also, blood. yeah, she could have been, God forbid, but like suffocated or, or something like that or, you know, allegedly. So I don't well, know. Like we were talking about Bob Saget dying yeah. earlier today. And he died from an injury to his head. Mm-hmm. It didn't say anything about there being enormous amounts of blood covering the scene. Yeah. But why so, would someone take a body out of a house? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, craziness? Yeah, we had... I mean, um, I mean there, there are all sorts of crazy people out there who do crazy, insane things for no good reason. Well, but they might have done it just so that there was less evidence to tie them to it. No, true. There might have been, they might have struggled and got some of their own blood on her. Or they could have had not been wearing gloves and got their hands on her. Or... She could have scratched them. Yeah, true. You never know. So, I mean, I'm, we were always taught growing up, if you're getting abducted, scratch the living hell out of the person abducting you. That way their DNA will be under your nails. That way they'll have like a scratch mark on them, identifying them, mm-hmm. things like that. So if you're smart and so, she does manage to hurt you, you take the body because you got to make sure that there's no DNA under those nails. Well, it's interesting, too, the, what Rhonda was saying. Like, why would they take the body? I, I think even, like, the current little iteration of the cold case investigators that are, you know, after um, her case right now have even said that, like, you know, well, we don't really understand why they took it yeah. in, in the sense of it. You know, if this is truly some random thing. Well, it could have been some random thing. But like I said, there are all sorts of different types of craziness out there. There are. There are. They, they could have had some kind of reason mm-hmm. for taking a body. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, but I think the assumption is that, that she's she still alive. alive. Yes. That yeah. she was struggling, there was some blood, well, and she was drugged out of the at house. The time. Yeah. At the yeah, time. Yeah, but still, I, I just don't understand a comment of there wasn't enough blood to think she's dead. Yeah, I think a lot of, uh, she, your definition of a lot of blood might be a little bit than my definition, too, you know? Yeah. But, like, uh, when I cut my head shaving... There's a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, you know, maybe, oh, you know, that's just a little. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Subjective, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Well, moving on. Her vehicle was found parked nearby, and I assume there they were in a remote location, their home was. So I assume it was somewhere close to their home, either in the park, either in a driveway or somewhere in the yard or, uh, but anyway, close by. So the vehicle was found and the keys were locked inside. And her purse and her cell phone were in the home. So, obviously, she did not plan to leave. Yeah. Something happened to her. Yeah, exactly. And in the coming days, over 250 people helped search a 40-mile square area beginning around the McGee home. And over the years, uh, 100 people plus have been interviewed. And tips have come in that led to anywhere from searching a gravel pit to draining a swamp. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I didn't hear about the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I assume just because of the location where they were down in South Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, supposedly, uh, or this is what I have, and I don't know if there's more or not, uh, officials are looking at two serial killers who may have been involved in her disappearance. And, Will, I don't know if you want to jump in with some additional information before we start talking no, about No, you go ahead. You go ahead. And I'll, yeah, I'll just jump in after. Okay. Derek Todd Lee, also known as the Baton Rouge serial killer, was convicted of killing two women and linked to five other deaths. Now, he was active from August of 1992 until March of 2003. 
Uh, he died of heart disease in January uh, January 2016 while awaiting execution. But I, I don't know about that, and I think even the officials were a little bit skeptical because where he was active was not quite in the area of where she was in the Bay Minette area in Alabama. Yeah. It's more in Lu- the Louisiana area. Yeah. And that's, that's what I saw too. They were like, I think one, it was like over 250 miles separated the crimes. Yeah. So why would he pick just a random woman from, you know, around what Atwood, Alabama to, to attack? But, you know, I mean, there's always that one person. I, there's always a chance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there is always a chance. And uh, then we have Jeremy Brian Jones. He's the second serial killer. He was sentenced to death in Alabama in November of 2005. He was active from 1992 to 2004. And the number of his victims ranged from 4 to 21. Mm. He -hmm. claims to have killed women in Mobile, Atlanta, New Orleans, and a couple in Oklahoma. So, you know, Mobile area, you know, south down along the Gulf Coast, very possible that yeah, I mean, I don't know that he ever confessed to it or, you know, of his victims that they have noted four to 21. If he, you know, gave names or locations to each of those victims, I'm really not, not sure. sure. I don't have that kind of yeah. detail. But anyway, I assume he is still alive, maybe on death row. Not really sure. Um, he was sentenced to death, so I don't know if that's been carried out or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a possibility of what may have happened there. Now, McGee was legally uh, declared dead in 2010, and as of 2013, there was a total of a $15,000 reward uh, for information that led to an arrest and prosecution. Mm. Gosh, and just like, you you think that that would be a more, uh, sometimes like you think, especially because they got started so soon after the initial um, abduction and suspected, you know, kidnapping of her, um, they got started really soon after, you would have hopefully thought that they would have had some kind of lead, but it's just sad to say that they never really got some a tangible one. Yeah, I agree, and I thought, I thought I had it in my notes, but I was thinking I had seen something about Jeremy Brian Jones actually being more like in uh, the mid-state of Alabama, Tuscaloosa area, mm, mm. but I don't see that in my notes. I don't I probably, know if I came across that either. Yeah, I'd have to go back and research it and maybe do a follow-up to this if I do find that. But you know what made me start thinking is our episode we did on uh, Dr. Cheryl Pearson. Let's see, let me bounce back to here. She disappeared in 2002. Of course, she was in the Memphis area. But, you know, you kind of wonder with both of these guys active, maybe not the um, not the Baton Rouge serial killer. Yeah. But maybe this uh, Jeremy Brian Jones, could she have somehow been connected to him? him? I'm not sure. Um, but it's just it's just different. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they didn't look the same, but there's I'm never going to rule it out because you never know what's going through a killer's mind. Unfortunately, I wish we knew more, knew better about it. But no, I, I can completely see your point, Rhonda. Yeah, well, you know, in my mind, uh, Melinda McGee, if it was this uh, Jeremy Brian Jones, it, to me, it sounds like maybe he was not necessarily stalking her, but watching her. Yeah. And timings when people would be home, when they would not be home. And that's what kind of made me think of the Pearson uh, case, because someone called her shortly before she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And my thought is maybe someone calling her to see if she was at home and at home alone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, here again, it's just I'm just speculating, obviously. But, you know, those two uh, serial killers, again, the Derek Todd Lee and Jeremy Brian Jones were being looked at. Yes. As being suspects 
in her murder. I got or that her disappearance. Saying. I won't say murder, but her disappearance. Yeah, which well, yeah, and suspected, I guess. Um, I will, you know, it, it's interesting to think about from, we are very, I feel, I feel like we're creatures of habit. And um, I think if someone, if you took a look at yourself for a second, you're like, man, like, I do have a habit of doing this. And like, it would be easy for somebody to probably see what my schedule is and to be like, hey, like I'm targeting that person because they have a schedule. And it, it's scary to think about. The world is just super scary. It is. It is. And uh, most of my information came from Charlie Project. Uh, the Atmore Advance, which I believe was a local paper, and NOLA.com News, and uh, Criminal Minds. But uh, again, uh, sources for the episodes will definitely be in our notes. Yes, yes. And, um, the only thing I think I'll say, Rhonda, I think you we pretty much got a lot of the same info. What um, I, I liked this one comment because it kind of reminded me of what you know you guys would do if something ever, God forbid, happened to any of us or anything. But um, Melinda's mother, uh, Weta Wall, uh, commemorated Melinda's 32nd birthday after her initial disappearance by planting a yellow rose bush during this time, and she was always hopeful that um, there would be tips to solving her murder, so or you know, suspected murder and kidnapping. But um, I don't know. That was just a little tidbit of info I just wanted to share. I think that's important to, you know, always think of the families. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, if you have any information on Melinda McGee's disappearance, contact the Atmore, Alabama Police Department and share that information. Yep. I agree. So I do want to add that the last thing that I really uncovered about Melinda's case was something that I actually found out on Reddit. So take it with a huge grain of salt because there's no corroborating evidence for this. It's just people kind of speculating on the case. Reddit's pretty famous for a lot of armchair detectives, and I I just like to kind of include us in that now because we kind of are. But apparently there was a a, one Jane Doe that was found in Brooklyn, Maryland in 2005, and she was estimated to be about 19 to 23 years old, Caucasian, and I think she was uh, pretty decomposed when um, uh, authorities did find her body, but uh, they did a DNA-based reconstruction that was uh, on this, you know, uh, supposed body that they uncovered, and it looked apparently a little bit like Melinda. Now, I don't know why she would be, what she would be doing in Brooklyn, Maryland, or anything like that, so take this, like we said, with a huge grain of salt, but I think it's important to include this information, but that's all I just wanted to include. All right, we're going to wrap it up here, and catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.